You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I ran across this little quote I jotted down. I don't, I don't remember who said it. I don't remember where I got it. I just remember that I jotted it down because I wanted to hang on to it. And here's what it said. What if the church stopped being concerned about the culture they wish they had? What if the church stopped being concerned about the culture they wish they had? And begin to see the need and the brokenness of the culture in which they live. What what if the church stopped being concerned about the culture they wish they had... And started seeing the need and the brokenness of the culture in which they live. The the, the scripture that I want to share with you this morning really says to me that Jesus calls us to be witnesses in our culture of what he can do in a person's life. Jesus calls us to be witnesses in our culture of what He can do in a person's life. And so I want you to grab your Bible this morning, if you will, and open it to the book of Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in in verse 1. Luke writes the book of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a continuation of the gospel of Luke. And so that's why he starts his letter with these words. Let's put the words on the screen and I'll read them to you. In my former book, Theophilus, I I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Luke's gospel is the only gospel that ends with the story of the ascension. And so I wrote about all that Jesus began to do until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... And so after his suffering, meaning after the crucifixion, Jesus was with his disciples. He appeared to them a few times and it says after his sufferings, he presented himself to them. And he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of about 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. It's crucial. What he spoke about, the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them... He gave them this command. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the gift my father promised. Which you have heard me speak about. Because John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And verse 9 tells us that after Jesus spoke these words... He disappeared in a cloud before their very eyes. 
I was reading this week a, a little book that a young Nazarene pastor has written called First Generation. It's about the book of Acts. And Adam Parrish challenges you as a reader to try to put your feet in the shoes of the apostles. These are men who left everything to follow Jesus. And for the last three years of their lives, they have believed that He is the Messiah. They have witnessed many miraculous signs and wonders performed by the Lord. In their context, they're all of the same race. They're Jewish young men. They are people of the nation of Israel. And they are tired. The Jewish people are tired of being ruled by someone else. All through history, whether it was the Babylonians or the Persians, or even at this time of their lives, the Romans. And they are praying for the restoration of the nation of Israel. Finally, someone has come to restore the kingdom of Israel. We will find our rightful place in the order of the nations. Nobody will rule over us any longer. And you can only imagine what they must have felt after the crucifixion. Their hopes were shattered, crushed. We were hoping that Jesus was going to restore the nation of Israel. But in three days, He was resurrected from the grave, and hope is restored. And Jesus beats with them during those next 40 days. And on one occasion, He talked to them about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem. I don't want you to leave. I want you to wait. John baptized you with water, but you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't think they knew what that meant. But they assumed that it had something to do with the restoration of the nation of Israel. And so one of them nudged the other and says, let's ask him. So at this time, does this all mean that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus' answer was a little bit disheartening in some ways, I'm sure. It's not for you to know the times or the dates, but focus with me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The kingdom of God will happen in front of your very eyes. Because while you think about the kingdom of God in political terms, for Jesus, the kingdom of God was always about God's rule and God's will taking place in the heart of an individual. And your role is to be a witness. One thing I know about a witness is all they're really required to do is to share their own story. This is what happened to me. This is what Jesus did in my life. That's the only role of a witness. All I can do is just tell you what happened to me. So where, Jesus? Where are the apostles to witness? I think that's really the question for us today. Where do you witness? I, um, 
I had breakfast with Thaddeus Black on, on Wednesday morning. We meet on occasion on Wednesdays at a, at a neat little diner down the street called Jim's. You ever been to Jim's? I like it when the waitress calls you hun. Something about that. that uh... I, don't, I don't know if you've ever hung out with Thaddeus. I've never had a Thaddeus in my life before. This is the first time. But when you go to breakfast with Thaddeus, you leave feeling like you've been to church. Thaddeus has a local preacher's license and, and he is helping us these days with a ministry just north of here, a couple of miles in the Two Lakes area. Rock Reach Our City has a pantry there and Thaddeus is our staff person there and he leads a Bible study. He's there all day meeting and spending time with folks, but he's there on Wednesday night leading a Bible study. We don't know what God's going to eventually do through Rock. And that pantry and Thaddeus ministry there. A week from tonight in the atrium at 6 o'clock, Thaddeus is going to be preaching. I wouldn't miss it for anything. I'm going to be there. I'm excited about it. But Thaddeus, sitting there at breakfast, having no idea what I'm preaching about today, says to me, i got to share the word with you, Brother Rick. And he's always sharing the word with people. He said, you know, the apostles in Jerusalem, they didn't have anything but their testimony. All they had was their witness. And I'm leaning in because I'm working on a sermon. Brother Rick, you understand, all the apostles had was their testimony. That's all they had. The Lord has me here in Guthrie, Oklahoma. That's where he and his wife, Lorraine, and their daughter, Christiane, live. He said, I I think it's interesting that the people of Guthrie know me, but all they know about me is just Thaddeus as an old drug dealer. That's all they know about me. And he said, now they see me. And they kind of back up and they look at me. And I say to them, "Uh uh-huh. I got something to share with you. And I begin to tell them how Jesus is good. He said, you understand that the apostles in Jerusalem, all they had was their testimony. Thaddeus said, I was at a gas station one day and a guy that I was in prison with saw me and pulled in and talked to me and offered me a little uh, employment in the industry of selling some drugs. And he said, no, no, I don't, I don't do that no more. He said, I begin to tell him that Jesus is good. You understand, Pastor Rick, the apostles, all they had was their testimony, right? That's all I've got is my testimony. He said he, he showed up at the car lot where I work one day. Told me that he had some legal problems that had cropped up. Yeah, that's going to happen in the world that you're in. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is good. He said he called me few weeks later. His wife was leaving him. There were troubles in his family. And Thaddeus said, I was able to tell him again, look at my life. Jesus is good. And Thaddeus Black says to me, Pastor Rick, I want you to know that man came to Bethany First Church and he sat beside me in the seat and he listened to you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, that man has a legitimate job today. And I'm praying that he will embrace the gospel. You understand, Pastor Rick, that all those apostles had in Jerusalem was their testimony. And that's all I have. 
And God has me right there in Guthrie where that's where I was. And people are seeing the difference in my life. I believe that Jesus calls us in our culture to be a witness of what Jesus Christ can do in a person's life. Daddy, is where you're sharing the gospel. Guthrie. <laughs> Two lakes. Wherever I am. Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem. Judea. Jerusalem is the city they were in. Judea is the greater region. Samaria. Samaria is the next region over. It's more than location. It's a group of people that the Jewish people despised. They were a mixed race, a mixed breed. Their religion was synchronistic. The Jewish people said, we don't even know what you are, but we know that we don't like you. And Jesus says, as you move to the ends of the earth, you leave nobody out. You share the gospel even with the people in Samaria. People who are not like you, who do not believe like you. People you even struggle with. I remember sitting in my office at Springdale several years ago when I was on the Nazarene.org website, our general church website, and I was getting some help with demographics of the community where our church was. And what you do is you enter information, and then finally it's going to give you this map. And in the center of the map is a cross, and that cross represents your church. And it kind of gives you a radius of what's around your church. And the different people groups around your church are represented by different colors. And when that map finally popped up onto the screen, it was not one color, it was many colors. Springdale Church is in a community much like the community that Bethany First Church is in. It is experiencing the same kind of changes that Bethany has experienced over the last several years. And so one color represented African American, and another color represented Hispanic, and another color represented Asian, and another color represented Anglo. And I remember pushing myself back away from my desk and I crossed my legs and I stared at that map. And I looked at that cross in the middle of that map. And I remember saying to the Father, Lord, this is our Jerusalem. This is where we're supposed to be a witness. This is where we are supposed to help people to understand that Jesus can make a difference in their lives. See, I understand what Jesus was saying to the apostles, and I think I even understand what it means. The question is, what does that mean for us today? How do I take that scripture and apply it to where I am at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene? And I think it looks something like this. The community of Bethany is our Jerusalem. And I think Judea maybe represents greater Oklahoma City. I'm not for sure about that. Samaria is more than just location. It's to people who are not like us. Maybe even people that we really struggle with. But it's moving through Samaria to the ends of the earth. And I think the ends of the earth probably looks like Swaziland to us. What's the furthest place in the world away from us that we can imagine? You're going to be witnesses. It's not just about Bethany, it's about Swaziland too. 
It's not just about Swaziland, it's about Bethany too. You're going to be witnesses. And what you have is your testimony, your story. I remember the first time that uh, we came to Bethany. We, uh, we didn't know a lot about the church. Um, we were always impressed with what we did here. Um, my wife had been to the church for Kyle Owen's wedding, her nephew. Um, I'd never been here. And, and I didn't know much about Oklahoma, to be honest with you. I, I think I shared with a smaller group of you once that first time we came and, and, and I got a little taste of Oklahoma when we were leaving. We were at the airport. And, and, and you know, when you go through security, sometimes those people, I know it's a tough job. They're not always helpful or friendly. And, and I know they get, you know, it, it's not easy, but th- sometimes they just, they motion at you, but they don't look at you. You're over here and they just motion like, come on through. Or if you do something you shouldn't do, you feel kind of stupid. And, and I remember getting ready to go through the metal detector and the security gal was on the other side. And I'll never forget how she brought me through. It wasn't one of these. It was a big smile, hand on her hip, and she said, get your cell phone in here. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Oklahoma is my kind of place. I'm going to do just fine here. I like this. I, I remember we met with the staff that day and we met with the board that night for, for kind of an interview process. And... And after the interview was over, Lewis McLean and Tim Brown and Chris Pollock walked Annette and I out to show us the Family Life Center. We hadn't seen that building. And we looked around and we were coming back in. And as we were coming back in the north door, they pointed over across the way to the Floyd Center and they said, Oh, oh, wait a minute, that's, uh, that's our building too. We have a little history. And they began to talk about the Floyd Center. I, I, I was amazed. I was, I was overwhelmed with what I heard. Back in the 1940s, it was built for the youth of the community. and They began to talk to me about an after-school program. Let me let, me let you take a moment to, um, to focus a little bit on the history of the Floyd Center. If you'll just take a look at the screen, we'll give you kind of a taste of uh, what's happened there over the years. In 1945, Reverend C.B. Strang, pastor of Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, had a vision. With God's guidance, he began to make plans to reach the youth in the community of Bethany. Part of that vision was a youth center for recreation. Money was raised, and the men of Bethany joined together and built a youth center two blocks west of the main church building at a cost of $25,000. We know this building today as the Fred Floyd Center. As I understand it, uh... The church rallied under Dr. Strange's leadership to build the youth center, even amidst uh, criticism of others that thought that was no place for the church. Initially, uh, there was some concern that athletics might be tied with worldly ambition and all this sort of thing, and they reached some type of compromise by saying, uh, really, recreation and fitness is good for building uh, God's temple. At the time, it was one building, and then we had a croquet court across the street. We had two tennis courts, and we had, uh, I think that was the major part where we had a softball field. 
And it was probably one of the first churches in Oklahoma City at that time that had a designed youth building, uh, something that was designed specifically to reach the youth in the community. And once again, this community was way ahead of its time in ministry. The Floyd Center has played host to countless recreation leagues, youth parties, family reunions, and Sunday school parties. Without a doubt, the vision of Reverend Strang stays strong. Dr. Fred Floyd, longtime Bethany First Church board member and Bethany Nazarene College history professor, had caught the vision. He worked tirelessly to keep moving forward and dreaming. The now-named Floyd Center continues to be a place where the lives of youth are shaped and memories are made. I remember coming up and uh, playing basketball for uh, oh, about an hour and a half and going home and watching the Bullwinkle show. And so that was my daily routine. I got to come over here when I was in seventh grade, and that was so exciting to actually be a part of the youth group. And the Floyd Center was our building. Driving down 39th, if you see this building, I always knew that I was not only close to the church, but I was close to home. And so I always equated um, the Floyd Center with being a part of our home because we spent a lot of time here. We're able to come and not only have fun, but um, grow relationships together. It's just an incredible place when you think about all the people that have come through the doors. Well, it's, it's sort of fun to see some of the grown people in our church today that were teens under our ministry back then. I'm hoping that this center had a lot of effect on their lives and taught them to be good Christian parents today. I think a lot of people have come to the church through this building. There's many that look back and says, this is a place where significant moments happened in life. Thirteen years ago, Jim Poteet saw that there was a need to provide a place for students in the community to go after school. The Bethany After School program was born. It quickly became the answer to the need. Today, over 100 students spend their afternoons within the same walls of the first youth center built in 1945. The vision lives on. Well, I know it's had a big impact, but I think our faith was pretty uh, weak in the beginning. I thought if we could keep 20 or 30 students off the street after school, we'd be doing a fantastic job. And when we started on March the 1st, 2001, we didn't have any staff other, my, other than myself and uh, uh, Sweet C. He and I figured, well, we can take care of 20 kids. The only problem is that within six weeks, we had 90 coming every day and no staff. And so I knew then we had a tiger by the tail and we had to figure something out. So all of a sudden we knew we were, we were having a big impact in the community. It's interesting today, this many years later, that I run into students and parents who were in the program in the early days and now they're out of college. Some of those early students are adults. And we didn't do the program because we expected people who came here to suddenly come to BFC. We did it because it was the right thing to do in the community. It's incredible to know that such a high percentage of our community youth are in the Floyd Center every day. If you think about it, on Sunday morning we have about an hour to touch the students in our community and on Wednesday night we have maybe two hours or so. But at the Floyd Center, we have three hours every single day of the week that the kids are under our care and we're able to express the love of Christ to them. 
What began as a vision to reach youth continues today. The work is not done. God is still on the move, and the need to reach the youth of our community is greater than ever. The Floyd Center is the landmark of a vision come to life. You know what I see when I look at that building across the way is I, I see that it represents to me a church who has had a desire to be a witness to Jerusalem. Over the years, I remember that night standing, standing there in the parking lot and looking over at that building and hearing the story and how impressed I was when I heard that students would come every day. Initially, there was federally, federal funding, but not any longer. And so the church was paying. And, and the parents were not charged any cost at all to have their kids from 3 in the afternoon until 6 in the afternoon to be taken care of by our, our people. I remember sharing with you early on when I came here that a few years ago, God had done something in my heart. I was living with an old stat that I had learned in youth ministry, and that was that 85% of people who say that they are Christian today became Christian before they were 18. And I did some study and realized that that number was probably higher. It was more like 95% of people who are Christian became Christian before they were maybe 16. And I began to think that the best dollar we could spend in ministry was on a child. And I began to feel like we had a very narrow window to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember standing back there, beginning to dream about this ministry. It is your DNA. The history of your church has always been about concern for your community, for your community with an emphasis on youth. It, it, was, it was not even back in 1909 just about, just about building a church. It was about building a place to educate young people. And the result of that today is Southern Nazarene University that stands beside us. There was an emphasis on orphans early on in those early years. There was an interest, rather, in caring for unwed mothers. In 1952, you, you made this unique move where you hired the first full-time youth director. It was unheard of in the Church of the Nazarene. Even the constructing of the building for youth was an innovative move. This is who you are. God has given us a wonderful gal. Andrea, why don't you come and stand beside me for a moment and chat with me. Andrea Mossard is our pastor of community. And her primary responsibility today is overseeing the ministry of the Floyd Center. And I thought maybe it might be great if you just took a moment and shared with us a little bit about what happens in the after-school program from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till 6 o'clock, five days a week during the school year. Sure. Well, we have the elementary branch and the middle school branch. And at our elementary program, we run about 150 students on average. We have 180 that are enrolled this semester. And in our middle school program, we have about 70 on average, and we have 80 that were enrolled this semester. And basically, they come after school, and we provide a snack for them. We provide time for them to work on their homework. And we have 22 paid staff and two directors that help oversee that time. And since this past year, we've added a lot of different programming. 
Um, some of the fun things that are going on this semester is we've had Zumba Tonic, which is Zumba for kids at the Floyd Center, and that's great because they actually stayed entertained the whole time. Um, we also have started a tutoring program, and um, we have a partnership with the Renewed Counseling Center that I'm really excited about, where some of the counselors and interns from the Renewed Counseling Center over at SNU have come over and started a girls group. Um, we've also had some play therapy. We've got all kinds of activity going on on a daily basis. Um, just a time for the kids to be safe and be off the streets after school and um, play and hang out at the Floyd Center or the FLC. The SNU School of Business has a, a group called Enactus, and they are helping you with two computer labs uh, that will be um, coming to fruition uh, hopefully in a few months here. Can you tell me a little bit about your vision for, uh, for this ministry? Sure. Um, you were talking this morning about your, what your testimony is and being a witness. And th so I thought I would start with just talking a little bit about my story. And I remember there was a, there was a time when Pastor Busick came up and spoke about going into Samaria and really going outside your comfort zone and um, going to the ends of the earth and places. And he even ended with the, when he spoke in the sermon about Acts 1-8, he said that very scripture. And that day I came down to these altars and um, I just remember being feel, feeling led by the Lord, sorry, to come down and pray. And um, it was shortly after that that a lot of things changed in my life for me and my husband. We went to Swaziland for a year and served there. And um, it was just very clear to me that that's what I was supposed to do. And after I was in Swaziland for a year, I was praying about what am I supposed to do, Lord? And when I come back, and um, I was trying to think through that, and um, it was clear to me before I even left Swaziland that I was supposed to somehow be salt and light in the community around Bethany. And I was kind of confused by that because I really didn't know um, what that was going to look like. And uh, I remember coming back on my first Sunday and seeing in the worship folder that there was jobs at the after school program. <laughs> and so I said, maybe I'll uh, apply for a part-time job at the after school program and just see where that takes me. And um, it ended up that um, it was God was moving in lots of people's hearts as he tends to do. And um, so I came on staff as the community pastor, and I really feel like this imagery of Acts 1-8 has stayed with me. Um, this Samaria into ends of the earth, and now I see myself in Jerusalem, and that God has called me here. And um, honestly, I was inspired by the way that the people in Swaziland ministered to their Jerusalem, and they challenged me to come back and minister in the same way in my Jerusalem. Um, but... After I started, I was very overwhelmed um, because I, I was thinking, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You're going to have to equip me for this. This is a big task. And um, as I was praying and just through conversations and thinking about the kingdom of God and our community, I thought about what it would look like for kids to come after school and for it to not just be a place that they're being taken care of. I don't want this to be just a daycare. Um, but a place where they are growing um, 
academically, mm -hmm. socially, and physically. So some of the things I've implemented throughout this year have all been under that umbrella of physical growth, social growth, and academic growth. Those are the three things that we've kind of been doing when we're building our program. And when I think about that, it's, um, it's really just all programming. I mean, it really, it really is just stuff unless you're truly participating in building the kingdom of God. And so it's so important for me that when I'm doing that, I have the kingdom of God in mind and that these kids, when they grow up someday, that we, they would see um, the after-school program as a place where they were invested in, that they were given tools where they can um, eventually get a job or, or be functioning members in society. And then also thinking about the people that we hire in the after-school program and what they do during the time that they're there, that they really feel that they were loved and that they've experienced Jesus' love and they know about Jesus through, the, through, our, through our actions through the after-school program. So that's, that's what I think about when I think about the vision of where we're going with this. I want, I want you to take just a couple more minutes, if you would, and tell, tell this story that you shared with me about this one young man. Will you do that before you sit down? Yes. Um, it was funny. I was already feeling overwhelmed, like, I don't know what I'm doing when I came <laughs> um, my first week as the community pastor. And I remember just going over to the after-school program and just hanging out and trying to introduce myself and get to know some of the kids. And I went up to this one young man and I said, hi, my name's Andrea. And he said, I don't care. And I was like, okay, great. This is going to be good. Okay. Um, so he said, I don't care who you are. And um, it's amazing um, the way I've seen this young man grow over this past year. Um, he started coming to youth group through the after school program. And he got to know David Bond. And a lot of the people at this church came alongside him. And he gave his life to the Lord one night at youth group. And I want to tell you that he's a different person. When I see him at the FLC, sometimes I see him up there hanging out on outside of um, after school time. Or when I see him at the after school program, he says, hi, Andrea. And it's like a whole different person. I mean, it's incredible the way God has worked and broke into his life and um, done some healing. And so I just want to praise God for that. And that's just the testimony I wanted to share. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. Thank you. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this ministry is because of the individual that God has given us to lead this ministry. I, I got to tell you one thing. I was meeting with Andrea the other day and some of the people who work with the after-school program. And, and I've been aware that, that some of the kids in the mid-high portion who are in the FLC, on Wednesday night when it ends at 6, they go to our youth group meeting. And so I was just curious. I said, well, about how many kids are with us on Wednesday night? And they said, well, about 70. I'm, I'm sorry, how many kids are with us in the, in the mid-high group at, at the FLC? They said about 70. I said, okay. So when it dismisses, some of them go to the youth group. Yeah. I said, well, how many of them go? And one of the girls said, would you say five or six? And I wasn't, you know, really excited about that number. And the other girl said, yeah, five or six go home. And the rest of them go to the youth group. <laughs> And I looked at those girls and I said, you're telling me that about 65 kids from our community go to our youth group every Wednesday night? And they said, yes. Do you know what happens in that youth group every Wednesday night? There is a band, there is worship, there is a sermon preached every Wednesday night. 
And nobody is coercing these kids to go. There's a church here that has been a witness. And they experience the love of Christ. And on their own they go. Let me, let, let me just tell you that we got one, one small problem. Let me show you a slide, okay? Um, the wonderful Floyd Center um, is, is probably experienced a lot of uh, deferred maintenance over the years. And um, we think that it could look like this um, instead. And you're seeing some add-on and you're seeing a new standing seam copper roof. And then we have another picture of another side for you. New windows, new doors, new mechanical systems, plumbing, heating, everything would be new. Um, it really has to be. And I think we might have another slide for you. You can see there's some added space. There's all new restrooms. There's new entry. It really helps with our child safe policies. And we've been building and designing with all of that in mind. We're going to need about a million and a half dollars to make this happen. And, and I'm really standing here this morning asking for your help to achieve that. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to come down the aisle at this time if they will, and they want to give you an envelope. We're not taking an offering today, but I do want you to take this home today. There's a verse in the second um, book of Corinthians in chapter 9, and it simply says this, that each man should give what he has determined in his own heart to give. Um, not reluctantly and not out of compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And so I, I didn't want to take an offering today because I wanted you to go home and pray. And I wanted you to come back next week and receive an offering. But next week when you come back, I want you to do what in your heart you feel really good about doing. And, and I understand that I'm looking at some people this morning who are saying, Rick, money is really tight. We, we live on a pretty fixed budget and, and over the next year, for us to give, you know, $500, that, that may be all we could do for this project. I mean, maybe around 50 bucks a month, and that's the way we would have to give it every month. Then, then I would challenge you this morning to please participate in this project. Some of you would say, well, Rick, we, we can give a thousand bucks in the next year. That's not going to be a problem at our house. We can do that. That's about a hundred dollars a month or so, and that's probably the way we'll, we'll do it. Others of you would say, well, we get paid every couple weeks. We can give 100 bucks every paycheck. So we can give about 2,500 bucks over the next year. Some of you are thinking, I can give 5,000. Some of you know today you're going to give 10. Some of you know right now you're going to give 25. Some of you may be saying, I can give 50. There's, there's some of you, I believe, that God will lead to give $100,000 toward this project because you believe in what is happening there. But next week, we'll come back. And we will celebrate and we will cheerfully give. And whether or not you give anything in the offering next Sunday, if you write on that envelope and say, this is what I will give over the next year, that's just fine. But next Sunday, bring your offerings and your pledges and we will give together. I have one more thing I have to say before we receive communion today. You, you, you may say, Pastor Rick, what, what, happened, what happened next? In, in Acts, in the story, what, what happened? Jesus ascended. That's verse 9. Leading us, the church, His physical presence on earth. Well, I'm not capable. <laughs> 
That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. To empower you to be his witness. And so in these moments now, we come to the table together. His body, his hands, his feet. And we accept the mission of being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth as the body of Christ. Amen? So those of you who are going to service, would you come forward and would all of you stand with me? And let's celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning together before we go. When the elements are passed, if you would hold them in your hand until everyone is served. And then as the community of faith, we will eat and we will drink together. I've got to wonder if there's somebody here this morning saying, Pastor Rick, I I like what you're doing. I'm all for what's happened today. It's been a little different, but I'm okay. But where I'm at in my life, I was kind of hoping this morning that I could, I could find a time at the altar to pray at the end of the service. Oh, you still can. And so you can either be served and bring your elements with you, or if you come and kneel, somebody will come and serve you. You're completely welcome to come and pray if you want to come and pray. Feel free to do that. was talking to Andrea just on Friday and I said to Andrea um, this is not us this is God leading us this is grace the, the generous offering you gave in December became the seed money for this project 
God bringing Andrea back home from Swaziland just when he did. God's hand on us. His grace, His mercy enabling us to be His hands and His feet. It's in that spirit that we receive His grace this morning. Even as I eat the bread and drink the cup, I'm receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was with His disciples and He takes the bread and breaks it and says, This is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it all of you. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it and be thankful. Amen. We give thanks. God bless you. Have a great day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.